Hey, we are moving away from Matthew, okay, just for this morning because um, I'm th- sure Brent's going to come back and we're going to be jumping right back in it. But I, uh, he said you can preach on anything you want. And I had been going through First and Second Corinthians, and I shared with some friends of mine a couple weeks ago at a men's group that I really enjoyed First Corinthians because, you know, Paul is in it and he's basically laying out everything that's going on. But Second Corinthians, it seems like he rambles and he jumps around a lot. And I, he's just, and the reason that is, is because in 1 Corinthians, heart, Paul's heart is really struggling, and he's, it's broken for the church that he's established there in Corinth. And there's all kind of crazy stuff going on in the church. You know, you, we look at, if you look at today's church and you think crazy stuff is going on amongst believers today, you got to look back at the, um, the church in Corinth, and wow, there was some wild stuff. And Paul spoke to that in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, he writes to them, And in the first couple of chapters, he kind of breaks down the history of how it is that he is waiting to hear back from them because he sent Titus to find out what the church of Corinth's response was going to be to his first letter. And in the midst of writing that second letter to them, he's waiting for them. And so in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, he's really struggling because his heart is breaking And he is just distraught because he doesn't know how the people, those people whom he loves, those people who are basically his children in the faith, um, will respond to his admonition to kind of get their life right, right? Um, To get back and um, and to do things and to live in obedience to Christ and to follow God's word and know what they ought to do because the spirit of God lives in them and and teaches them. And so he's writing and he he says that he's in chapter chapter 2 in 2 Corinthians. And by the way, that's where we're going to be. And you know what? Before we go any further, um, I see the guys in the back with Bibles. If you really need a Bible this morning, we're going to look at a couple verses. If you'd like to follow along, if you'd put your hand up, they'll be glad to put a Bible in your hand. But um, for those of you that have yours with you or have it on your phone, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 because that's where we're going to be this morning. But Paul, in that first part of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, is kind of laying out and he's, he's saying, look, he says that he and the, um, and the people, his companions that are traveling with him, go um, down and they go to Troas. And when they get to Troas, he says that, that the, there's an open door, that God opened the door for them. And that there are tons of people there that if he, he wants to speak and teach the gospel, that people are responding. But he said his heart is such that he ends up having to leave because the reason he's leaving is because his heart is breaking so much for the people that are in Corinth and trying to figure out what their response is going to be to his letter that he says he actually leaves Troas in order to find Titus because he wants to hear from Titus what it is and how it is that the people of Corinth have responded to his first letter. Now, with that in mind, um, I want to read to you from, and if um, we took a Bible this morning, you got the NIV. And so I'm going to read to you from the NIV first, and then I'm going to read to you from the New American Standard. And I want you to pay attention because they're different, believe it or not. And so here it is. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I want to read verse 14. So there's some white space here, okay? Because you see in verse 12, it says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had an open door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. And now there's this white space because he's kind of given history and then all of a sudden he breaks in his letter and turns to the passage that we're going to focus on. He actually pins it. And this is what he says. 
Now, and it says in verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, that is what it says in the NIV. Now, you, if, how many of you got the NIV right now? You're holding the NIV. How many of you hold, how many of you hold the New American Standard Bible? Okay. New American Standard Bible are, is, is going to read different. This is what it says. 2 Corinthians, and pay attention to what it says. It's different. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Now, the thought is pretty much similar, but there's a word in the NIV that's not in the New American Standard. Did you see it? What is it? What is it? Nope, not manifest. What is it? Manifest is that. It's captives. It's captives. In the NIV, it says this. Listen. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And in the New American Standard, it reads as this. But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ or in triumphal procession. He leaves out the word or the NIV has inserted the word captives. Well, the New American Standard does not have the word captives. If you, and I know this because I did this this week. I, got, I busted out the Greek. Now, I took Greek a long time ago, but I can't read Greek at all. I couldn't even tell you the Greek alphabet anymore. It's been that long. But, um, but I can read it, or I could read it, so, but I, what I really can't do is read a commentary that tells you what the words mean, right? And so I looked at it, and I'm going through it, and I'm going, oh, okay, and I'm crossing the words. And the word captives is not in the original manuscripts. So why is it that the NIV sticks it in there and the New American Standard in 90.9% of the rest of the translations leave it out? Why is that? Any idea? Yeah. So here it is. The reason is, is because of what Paul is trying to communicate. In the New American Standard, it says this, and I'm going to read it to you again. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Isn't that an amazing verse? The concept, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. That's powerful, right? That he leads us in triumph. And we, that's one of those verses that you like write down on a card when you send it to somebody and you want to encourage them, right? Who always leads us in triumph. It's powerful and it means a lot to us because we, it gives us a sense that we are triumphant in Christ which, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are, okay? We are. But why in the world does the NIV put in that word captives? Why is it that Christ leads us as captives? The reason being is understanding the context in which Paul wrote this. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, his heart is broken. He's uncertain of what's going on. Okay, he doesn't know if they responded well. In fact, he's pretty down and out. Okay, he's so down and out that he goes to Troas, and it says that God has opened the door to him. Now, Paul is what? Paul is a preacher and a missionary, right? What did God call him to do? To preach the gospel. He gets to Troas. When he gets to Troas, he says God has opened the door. You know what that means? He basically is saying, look, people are listening. People are responding to the gospel. You would think that this would just jazz him. 
and that he would be so excited about that. But because his heart was so heavy, listen, his heart was so heavy for the Corinthians, it says that he left them. He said, but I left them and I headed on down to Macedonia because I had to find Titus because I had to know what Titus' response was to my, what Titus' response was from you to my letter that I wrote you, 1 Corinthians, where for all practical purposes I encouraged you and rebuked you and admonished you to live as you ought as people were followers of Christ Jesus and not as the world. And so then he turns, and like I said, there's white space here. Because we, he goes on and tells us later a little bit what happens when he, finds, when he finds Titus. But in this white space, Paul turns and he takes a turn and he begins to express his emotion. And his emotion, is, and it says this, But thanks be to God, who leads us in triumphal procession, in Christ Jesus, or thanks be to God, who in Christ Jesus leads us in triumphal procession. Now, do you know what a triumphal procession is? I didn't. In fact, I've actually taught this passage before and taught it improperly. So this time you're getting it right. Congratulations. But um, because I taught it as, oh, this is really cool. You know, we're triumphal in Christ. That is true. We are triumphal in Christ. But this illustration that Paul is using when he says triumphal procession or triumph, a triumphal procession took place in Rome. It was something that the people of Corinth understood and the readers of the Roman Empire understood. And what happened during a triumph is when a general returned after conquering a country, what he would do is they would get, first of all, those people that they didn't wipe out, they would take captive. Oh, NIV, right? They would take captive and they would put them in chains and they would bring them back to Rome and then on a certain day there would be a celebration of the general's, the general's achievements and that would be called a triumph or a parade. It was a parade and they would take it through the streets of Rome and what would happen is there would be incense and there would be flowers thrown. It was like, it was, it was a processional. You know, like when you get married, the processional, they have those little flower girls that come down, right? They throw the flower. Yeah, what's that? Like when the giants win. Yeah, like when the giants win, yeah. Did that ever happen? Um, so in a, um, oh, okay, all right, yeah, all right. So, all right, so anyway, um, so you got this procession. Or when you get, yeah, the, or like, now I, I, know that, I know that Denver just won, right? There was a big deal in Denver. Yes. But remember when they lost to Seattle? The reason I remember it is because I was in Seattle, and I've never pe seen people so crazy in all my life. Seattle people just went crazy. And they, they you know, there was banners, there's still banners there, but it was just like everywhere you went. It was kind of like when Boise State won the first festival, right? I mean, you couldn't go into any, for a year and a half, every time you went into R.C. Willers or Sears and there were TVs on, it was that Boise State game over and over and over and over again. And, and we were triumphal, right? And, and we were glad to show that we pounded down the other team. And that's basically what a triumphal procession is. Is that the, the Roman general, they would come in and there would be music and there would be incense and there would be flowers thrown all over. And the Roman general would lead the procession and then behind the procession would come, would come his captives. And they would be in chains. And they would be drawn through the streets and people would hurl insults at them and throw things at them. It was part of the whole deal of the Roman Empire. And... And what Paul is saying is this, that thanks be to God 
who in Christ Jesus leads you and me, those of us that are believers, in triumphal procession. Now listen, after the captives came, you know who followed in the procession? The military army. And so after they abused, after they abused the prisoners, they cheered and in a sense triumphed those who followed the general and achieved the victory. Now, when you look at this passage, commentators freak out and they do different things. There are some commentators that say that this passage tells us that God brings us in Christ Jesus in triumph as his captives. Because indeed, Jesus has taken us captive. That is true. But it is also true that we are triumphal in Christ because we are what? We are not only his captives, but because we are his captives, we are also his people. And not only his people, but his children and co-heirs with the one who is the general leading the procession. And so I, I think that what's happening here, and no disrespect to the NIV or the New American Standard, however, the, the, the word captive is not in the original Greek. But the concept is. The concept, and, and what happens is when we read this passage, we so often think, oh, we're led in triumph. Aren't we awesome, right? You write it down on a, a Bible verse, write it on a, a greeting card, look, write down the Bible verse on a greeting card. It looks really good. It makes us feel good. Yes, we're triumphs triumphal in Christ. That is true. But people, we are also the captives of Christ. The scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But not only were we dead in our trespasses and sins, but that we were children of Satan. We were enemies of God. Do you understand that? We were enemies of God. We were anti-God, anti-Christ. And yet God comes and takes us captive. And takes us captive, and we don't go easily. We go kicking and screaming. We don't want to do it in and of ourselves. But the scripture says that God has to come and miraculously work to take us captive. So that when we are taken captive, we are taken away from our father who is Satan. And we are brought into captivity into Christ and under Christ. But the amazing thing is that he doesn't just bring us as captives. But he brings us in and he treats us as his children. And so we come in triumph in Christ as captives, but also conquerors. We come as people who are slaves, but people who are also children. This is an amazing aspect of Christianity. And this is part of Christianity and the whole concept of coming to Jesus and the transformation that takes place when he works in our lives that we often forget. That there are two aspects of being someone who belongs to Jesus. We are what? Slaves and bondservants of Christ, are we not? And yet at the same time, we are children and co-heirs. And so when, when Paul writes these words, But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ. Paul, Paul is writing that from a heart that's broken. He's writing it from a perspective where he's being beat down. In fact, 
In 1 Corinthians chapter, in, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 2, Paul's writing them, and he's so concerned that they'll misunderstand what he's trying to say and that, he lord, that he's trying to lord over them. He says, do you understand that I'm basically me? I'm basically the scum of the earth except for Christ. Think about it. How did Paul come to Christ? Did he do a lot of study in the Bible and, uh, or in the Old Testament and go, oh, wow, I really came to the realization the Messiah is coming? No. You know what he was doing? He was persecuting Christians, was he not? He was on his way to persecute, capture, torture, and most likely kill Christians. And Jesus showed up. And what did he do? He took him captive, did he not? He knocked him off his horse. He blinded him. And he put him in his place. And Paul, who was Saul at that time, said, who are you? Who are you? And he said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus, the one that you persecute. And Paul became captive at that moment to the God of the universe, our Redeemer, our Savior, the Savior of our soul. But what happens is this. All of us are like that. All of us are like that. We're in rebellion toward our Savior. And he has to come to us and reveal to us that he is indeed who he says he is, the Son of God, our Redeemer, our Savior. In fact, so what Paul is doing here is this. Is he's saying, look, we need to understand our salvation. We are indeed captives. Ephesians chapter 2, I've already mentioned that, where he says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins and enemies of Christ. But then it says this in Philippians Chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Christ has taken hold of us. The word there is that he has seized us. And and he says, "I, I will take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me for. He has seized us. He's taken hold of us. He's grabbed us. He's brought us captive to himself. And then what he does is that he takes those of us that are captives and he makes us children. He changes our hearts through regeneration. This is an amazing fact that God takes our hearts. The scripture tells us this, that our hearts are hearts of stone. And he gives us a heart of flesh. Regeneration is being made new in Christ. When he he takes us captives, he makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. He regenerates us. He brings our heart to a place where that we love him and we want to seek him and we want to obey him and we want to know him. He gives us the gift of faith. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says this, For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. This is not of yourselves. This faith did not come from you. It is what? It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. You've been captured. You've been regenerated. You've been given the gift of faith, he says, that you might believe. Our sins have been forgiven. The scriptures tell us this in Psalm 103, that God takes our sins and he throws them as far as the east is from the west. You know how far that is? That's a long way. Because the concept is not like in a circle around the globe. The concept is east to west on a straight line. The line is a line of infinity. It goes on forever. He says he he separates us from our sins from as far as the east is from the west. And then he also says in Micah 7.19 that he throws our our sins into the depths of the sea and he remembers them no more. How can that be? 
How can that be? What kind of God can do that? Can take our messes and the fact that we are enemies of him, take us into captivity, and then take everything that is anti-him and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness and remember it no more. That is stinking amazing. But that's what Paul's trying to say to us. He's saying, look, don't you understand? This is why we're triumphal in Christ. He says that our sins are forgiven, that we've been given the gift of faith through regeneration. And he says that we are declared righteous and the very righteousness of Christ is given to us. You know, we're always busy trying to make ourselves better, right? We're like, oh, I got to do this to make myself look better for God. No, we don't have to. Because when God takes us captive, not only does he redeem us and forgive us, but he gives us the perfection of his son, the one who takes us captive. So that he no longer sees us in our sins, but he sees us in the righteousness of Christ. That stinking blows me away when I try to think about that. That he would give me. Sorry, I didn't mean to do this. I feel like Brent. Um, <laughs> that he would give me the righteousness of Christ. I don't deserve that. We don't deserve that. We deserve to be taken captive, put in chains, and executed. And yet, the God of the universe loves us so much that he does this for us and then gives us the very righteousness of Christ. And then it says that he adopts us as his children, Romans 8.15. What is up with that? Not only does he forgive us, but he makes us his kids. And he gives us his inheritance. And then, finally, he gives us his very presence through the power of the Holy Spirit who comes in Ephesians chapter 1 and then in Colossians 2 it also tells us this, that it says, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians 2 it tells us this, that there's the Spirit of God comes and indwells us. The scripture says he's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He lives inside us somehow amazingly, miraculously, I don't, that's not even a word, is it? In a miraculous way that he comes and works in our life. And it says that he's a deposit guarantee. He's a stamp. He's a brand. It's like, it's like we were taken into captive and we were branded. We were, set, we were said, this is who you belong to. And it's by the Spirit's presence in our lives. He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Our inheritance is what? Into the kingdom of God. This is what he says. This is what Paul's saying. Do you get what just happens? But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God who in Christ Jesus leads us, you and me, those of us who were been taken captive by Jesus, but not taken captive by Jesus just to be taken captive as prisoners. But no, we've been taken captive and we've been changed. We've experienced regeneration. We've experienced justification. We've experienced forgiveness. We've experienced faith. We've experienced adoption. We've experienced being branded and sealed by the Holy Spirit who now lives in us. We are people of God. But thanks be to God who leads us, who always leads us in triumphal procession because we are both captives and conquerors. We are slaves and children. And by the way, that's the yin and yang of the gospel. It really is. Because we always have this thing that we like being called children of God, don't we? And we think, well, that's pretty cool. 
And we, and we think, well, you know, we're children of God and we've got freedom. And we do have freedom as his children, but we're also captives of Christ, are we not? And as captives, we can only do and go so far as the chains of our captivity allow us. We like to celebrate our freedom in Christ. But freedom in Christ doesn't mean you can do whatever you want to do. Well, in a sense, it does. But freedom in Christ means that we're free as his children to live as his kids. To, live, to love him and to live in obedience. Because the Spirit of God lives in us and teaches us what it is that we ought to be doing. We don't have this concept and, and this whole idea of freedom in Christ that we can just believe in Jesus and, and go do whatever you want. You know what? You can't. You can't if you're really in Christ. It's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine, and um, we, uh, we work for the same company, and he lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, I travel. My, my territory is such that I cover Idaho, Utah, and Montana. So I got a lot of windshield time. And during this windshield time, I'll... I'll call him up and talk to him and I don't know what he does but he talks to me all the time I'm driving I don't know what he's doing but I'm driving and we'll be talking and we start talking about work but this guy's a believer in Christ his name is Scott and I love him very much I love him very much and this is why because every conversation that I have with him he drives me to talk about Jesus it's so funny I call him up to talk about business and an hour and a half later we've been talking for an hour about Jesus and I'm like Scott you're an amazing guy I love this guy and, and, and I was sharing with him, I said, isn't it amazing that, that, that you can't sin and get away with it? I said, I struggle with the fact that sometimes I do stuff and I'm like, and I just put my head down and go forward. I don't know, maybe none of you are like that. Um, I just say, this is not right, but I'm just going to, you know, whether it's with my, um, and mostly it's with my attitude. Uh, and it's mostly with my actions or my words toward my, maybe my wife. Okay, so a lot toward my wife. I think that's all right. God, by the way, God um, brings us together, husband and wife, because that is the greatest means of sanctification there is in this world, by the way. Um, that God uses that in our lives. But, 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 he, but I just put my head down sometimes to do things, and, and I know, and sometimes I go, man, why am I doing this? This is so wrong. But it just feels good. It just feels right until it's over. That's the strange thing about sin. When it's over, it doesn't feel right anymore. And, and you know what? It's, it, the Spirit doesn't convict us of sin. The Spirit is our comforter. He comes as a deposit, our comforter. But He doesn't come to convict us. But what He does is He allows the Word of God to work in our lives that we convict ourselves. Because we know that we have broken away from our captive, our capture, our God, our, our Redeemer. We break away. And, and what Scott said to me is this. Isn't it amazing, Mike? The fact that you cannot just do your own thing is an indication of who you are. The fact that you're miserable when you sin is a mark that you really belong to the one that you say you belong to. That's pretty cool. I can't sin and enjoy it. You know why? Because... I've been changed. I've been re regenerated. The Spirit of God lives in me and causes me to want to live in obedience to God. And this concept that we have freedom in Christ, that we can do whatever we want, that's, 
as my pastor from Miami used to say, straight out of the pit of hell and smells like smoke. It's not true. It's not true. We are captives in Christ. We are captives in Christ, yet we are his children. We are co-heirs with Christ. And we are sealed by the, with the Spirit to the day of redemption. And that's why Paul says this. Thanks be to God, who in Christ Jesus always leads us in triumphal procession. And then he goes on to say this. He says, for we are, oh, then he goes on, in Christ Jesus. He, Trump is Christ Jesus, and verse 14, I'll start over. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. The sweet aroma of the knowledge of him. Our lives are a sweet aroma. It's tied to that incense, incense and that whole concept of the flowers and everything that goes in this part of the, the triumph of the general. That our lives are the aroma of Christ. They are, and they are pleasing to God. Our lives are pleasing. And how is it that we are pleasing to God? We are pleasing to God because the Spirit of God who lives in us is in the process of changing us and causing us to live in obedience to Christ. This is what he does for us. He teaches us the truth and reveals to us in the scriptures everything that we need to know about how to live in obedience to our God. He empowers us to live in obedience to God. And he empowers us to love God as we ought. But he empowers us to love each other the way that we should. And he teaches us what to say. And he teaches us what kind of words that we should use and how it is that we should interact with one another. This is what the Spirit of God does. He teaches us to love God and to love others. To love God and to love others. And the reason that we can do that is because we are captives and co-heirs with Christ. And he leads us in triumph everywhere we go. And as we live in obedience to God, and as we let the Spirit of God take his word and apply it in our lives, we become the aroma of Christ to God the Father. Do you understand that? That we smell like Jesus to God. That's pretty cool. He also says this, to people in the world, says a little further down the passage, to some people in the world, that aroma of Christ is the aroma or the fragrance of life. But to other, it's the stench of death. It is the stench of death. To some, it is the aroma of Christ. To others, it's the stench of death. What he's saying is this, is that as we live in obedience to Christ, people will, people will see that. And they'll be drawn to Christ because of our lives, or they'll be repelled from Christ because of our lives. Now, I'm from the southeast, okay? And I love barbecue. I mean, I'm talking, I'm not talking like grilling on the back porch kind of thing. I'm talking barbecue. I'm talking brisket, pulled pork, baby back ribs. I'm talking, um, I'm talking chicken. I'm talking coleslaw, cornbread. I'm talking baked potatoes, barbecue beans, fried okra, sweet tea. Okay, that's what I'm talking, all right? So, 
So I have this friend in, in the Salt Lake area, and every time, well, every, about every other, about once a month, we get together and we do lunch together. And when we do, we've been going over and over again to Goodwood Barbecue. You know what that is? You've been to Goodwood? They have one here in town. We have, there's one in Draper. We go to the one in Draper, Utah. Go down to Goodwood, and um, so I called him up a couple weeks ago, and I said, let's get something to eat. And I said, but well, let's stop going to Goodwood. I saw, I said, because there's this little hole-in-the-wall barbecue place in the strip mall I want to try. Have you ever been there? And this is what he said to me, Todd. He said, yeah, it's awesome, but you can't go there. And I go, why not? He said, because when you go inside, the whole place smells like barbecue. You see, at Goodwood, you're kind of inoculated from barbecue, aren't you? Goodwood's a nice little restaurant. It's got really nice clean tables, and you sit down, cushion pads and all that kind of stuff, menus and all that kind of stuff. Um, you go in, and the cooking's all going in the back, and they're venting it out the back, and you just eat, and you can leave. But you go in this little hole in the wall that I saw and said, Todd, let's go. He goes, no, it's awesome, but you can't go there because when you go there, the entire place smells like barbecue. He said, but you can't even sit in there for five minutes. If you do, you sit in there for more than five minutes, everybody the rest of the day will know what you had for lunch. That's pretty awesome. Now that's barbecue. And I said, let's go. And he goes, you can go. I'll let you go in and get it. We'll eat in the car. Because I don't want to smell like that. Because barbecue just seeps into your clothing, right? Into your hair, into your skin. When you eat it, it seeps out of your skin. I mean, you eat enough barbecue sauce, and I know from, you could sweat that stuff out, okay? I mean, and I could eat barbecue five, six, seven times a week, all right? I'm not lying. I love barbecue. And for me, for me, for Todd to say that when I went in that place, I would leave, and I'd smell like barbecue all day, that was a good thing. But for somebody from Utah, that's not a good thing. But they don't want to smell like barbecue. Now, I started thinking about that. I started thinking, isn't that the way that we often do Christianity? I mean, we like being in the barbecue restaurant. We just don't really want to get so close to it that we smell like it. And yet... God tells us this through Paul. I lead you in triumphal procession in Christ as captives and conquerors because you are the aroma of Christ. You are the stench of barbecue. To some people like me, I just want to get right up against you. I want to know where you wait for lunch and I want to go there with you. But for other people, they go, dude, Barbecue? I'm a vegan. <laughs> I don't do that stuff. Then Paul says this. We are the aroma of Christ. To some we are the, the fragrance of life. To others we are the stench of death. And then in the final verse of our text he says this. Who is equal to this task? And the answer he wants is nobody. And yet, if you don't mind taking your Bibles as we wrap up here and look at 2 Corinthians chapter, not 2, but chapter 3. A few verses later in verse 5, he says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. 
Not that we are adequate. Who is equal or adequate to such a task? Not that we are adequate in ourselves or consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is in God. Thanks be to God, who in Christ Jesus always leads us in triumphal procession. To him we are the sweet aroma of Jesus Christ. To some, we are the fragrance of life. To others, we are the stench of death. Who is equal to such a task? Not one of us in here. But thanks be to God, our adequacy is in God, who is in Christ and through Christ, the one who has captivated us, the one who has adopted us, and the one who declares that we are conquerors in Christ because our adequacy is not in ourselves, but in the one who loved us enough, who loved us enough to take us captive, even at the price of his own son, to make us his children, and to put on us a stamp that says we are his, not only now, but forever. And that stamp enables us to live. That stamp of the Holy Spirit enables us to live as who we are captives and kids of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that is the gospel. And that is cool.